0: Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We're actually looking at a lot of Scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at Acts 21, verses 27, all the way through Acts 22, verse 21. So we're going to cover a lot, and that means that this sermon is going to be a little different. It's going to feel a little different, not only because we're covering a lot of Scripture and I want us to read it, but also because I really was encouraged by God throughout this week to think differently and more clearly, and that's really the the direction that I want us all to go together is I want us to learn to think a little bit differently or maybe quite a bit differently for for some of us here. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 22, 21. We'll be covering a lot. I've been thinking a lot about the first time I heard the gospel, and I've actually thought about this a lot from the time I I heard it, I keep going back to the very first. Nobody shared the gospel with me in my life until I was a senior in high school. And the way that I wound up hearing the gospel, like everyone else who hears the gospel, a billion different things had to line up just so In order for me to hear the gospel if any one of those things were to fall apart then i would not be in that particular situation at that moment i heard the gospel because i met a girl in the dean's office when i was a senior i was sent to the dean's office for reasons that you would expect and she was in the dean's office to help out the dean people did that sort of a thing doing good stuff and so i was in the dean's office i found this girl and i did something that i would never ever normally do which is talk to a girl and ask her if she wants to go on a date. Never in a million years would I do that. You see, when I was a senior in high school, I went to, I had a few classes at Geneva High, and then I had one class at Batavia High. And so I was at this one school that I didn't normally go to for one class. And I was, of course, skipping that class because who wants to go to that? And, uh, and I get caught skipping that class. I get sent to the dean's office. So I had to be at Batavia High, where I felt free enough to pretend to be cooler than I am to ask this girl if she wants to go on a date. She had to say yes to go on this date. We went out with friends. We saw a movie. We came back to her place where her parents and everybody was at, and she told me the gospel. She shared God's love for sinners with me. I'd never heard it before, and so many different things had to line up for that just to happen and that's not unique to me that is genuinely everyone's story that god is involved in the details of your life you have a story and while it is true in christians we do like to say this you are not the primary character in the story of your life but you are still you right? So (laughs) you are your primary character. Like it is, it is your, your life and your perspective is what's going to really kind of move you through this space. You have a story and that story matters. And it is incredibly more complicated than most of us are ready to admit. And what I want us to grasp today is that you cannot truly understand your story. It will not come together. Your story will not come together unless you understand how it relates to God's story. And I think a lot of us miss it because we we compartmentalize our lives into these scenes or into these short stories that are somehow existing, isolated from one another. So here's the principle. Grasp this with me today. God's story gives light to your story. Whoever you are and wherever you've been, it is God's story that will ultimately give light to your story. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a lot of scripture here and we're gonna focus on Paul's story, right? Because that's what we're looking at, Paul's story. But then I want us to see, as Paul unpacks his story and how it relates to the Lord and in God's story, I want us to focus on your story. And I want you to think with me about it. So first, Paul's story. We're in 21, starting in verse 27. Before we get into that, just a very brief recap Paul is essentially a missionary that has been sent by the church in Jerusalem on a third missionary tour, right? So he's going around, he's preaching the gospel, he's seeing people get saved. He's starting churches, organizing leadership, he's encouraging Christians, he's doing all of this. And as he's doing it, he is impacting the Gentile world more than he is the Jewish world, which is his people, right? He is a Jew through and through. and He loves the Jewish people and he wants to see them impacted, but he is impacting the Gentile communities more. So he's coming back to Jerusalem, and as he's making his way back to Jerusalem, he is running into people who keep saying, hey, man, don't go to Jerusalem. They're not gonna like you there. They're not gonna receive you. You're gonna get arrested. You're gonna get the beat down. So he's getting these warnings from Christians, like, be careful. I wouldn't, I don't know if you should go. He's still gonna go. He's called by the Lord. He's going back to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, we saw this last week, he gets there, and he realizes that there are rumors and lies that have been spread about him, that there are people in his Jewish community community who are saying that uh, he has essentially disowned the Jewish community, that he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Jewish community, and that, in fact, no Jews should keep any part of God's law. So Paul seeks to set the record straight. He works with the church in Jerusalem to make sure that everybody understands to the best of their ability, hey, listen, that's, that's not the case. And, he, they, you know, he, of course, Paul clarifies that I am not against God's laws, but I am for the right use of God's laws. And with this new covenant in Jesus Christ, we understand that God's law points us to our need for a savior. Sure, it shows us the right way to live in many respects, but ultimately it shows us our need for a savior, and it drives us to Christ, who is the fulfillment of that law. That's Paul's central message. But he wasn't in any way simply trying to deter uh, uh, Jews from keeping the law that they have come to keep throughout their lives, because he's opposed to it. So he sets the record straight. Hopefully all things are going to be good. We'll pick up in verse 27, chapter 21, verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, this is the basically Paul has sponsored four Jewish Christians who have uh, kept a vow, and he's sponsoring them, paying for their way so that people can see him participate with them and support their customs. Uh, He's not against the law. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All right. So uh, there's more lies here. (laughs) Paul. You would think it was cleared up, but sure enough, there are a group of people that either through misunderstanding or malice, we talked about this last week, either through misunderstanding or malice, they are spreading lies about him and stirring people up. And uh, what are the lies? Well, okay, he's teaching everyone everywhere to cut off ha- anything that has to do with, with Judaism, right, with, with the Jewish people, their customs, or their laws, which is simply not the case, right? Now, there's another accusation that's being made that he's bringing Gentiles into the temple where they do not belong, Um this is this is frustrating it's got to be frustrating for paul because it's absolutely preposterous and what has happened here is some people got a little piece of information you know how this works in life right somebody gets a little piece of information a factual tidbit right not wrong they saw paul rolling with a greek guy right so like they're they're hanging and uh and they know that paul preaches the gospel to the gentiles and so now that what they they've seen paul in the temple therefore He must have brought this Greek guy, which they saw Paul with, factoid, into the parts of the temple where he doesn't belong. No truth to that whatsoever. And this is what uh, sometimes misguided people, sometimes malicious people do with a little bit of information. They run to bad conclusions. And they're doing that with Paul here. Now, here's the thing. If you don't understand why this is a big deal, the center of Jewish life was the temple all right? And the temple was made up of different courtyards, right? And so there on either end of the temple, there was these two courtyards that were essentially the, the courtyard of the Gentiles. This is where Gentiles could come. All people could come into this aspect of the temple, and they could worship there and be a, be a part of the Jewish community that they have embraced as those who feared the Lord, though they weren't raised Jewish. And so this was the courtyard of the Gentiles I could go into. But then there were other courtyards as you go into uh, the temple area. And so there was, the, for example, there was a, there was a courtyard of, of, of women, right? And so it was just for Jewish ladies. There was a, a, a courtyard just for the priests. And, then, and that was the... Was the, was the Holy of Holies, right? The Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. So all these different courtyards, and there were posts everywhere. It was written in multiple languages. If you are a Gentile and you cross into this area, you will be punished. Do you know what the punishment was? You die. People, as a general rule, they did not cross that boundary. They had no interest in crossing that boundary. This was a... This was a very hard, very established rule. Paul's not, if Paul did actually bring anybody that didn't belong into a Jewish courtyard, everyone would know. It would be seen, it would be documented, and there would be punishment. So, all of this stuff is going on. Now, so we have these lies that are still being told about Paul, and what's the result? What happens as a result of people misunderstanding and gossiping or slandering or just outright lying? Absolute chaos is the result, and violence chaos and violence. Listen, it says, Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut and they were seeking to kill him. Okay, so, so this, this, this is, like, Paul had some bad days, right? This is a bad day. He's literally done nothing wrong. He's doing everything right. And he, in doing the very thing that God has called him to do, he is being hated and persecuted by the very people that he loves and wants to reach. And the violence gets so extreme, and they drag him out of the temple. Why? Because they do want to murder him. And it gets so bad, uh, they got to call the cops, basically is what it is. Uh, And it's because although they are in Jerusalem, right, they're in Israel, uh, Israel was owned and occupied by Rome. And so there was a Roman police force that they could appeal to for help. So some people were like, hey, things are getting out of hand. There's a riot breaking out. There is chaos here. Can you come in and squash this? We read about this in verses um, 32 through uh, 33. It says, he at once... Oh, it says 31. Uh, And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort, right? So this is the, the police that would kind of intervene here, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So this is significant, right? This is, Paul is going to be arrested here even though he's the innocent person, he's going to be arrested because the rumors and the gossip of these people that are opposed to his ministry are reaching everyone. It says, The tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another... And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. So Paul's persecuted, beaten, they tried to kill him, they're, they're stopped, but now the cops have arrested Paul and brought him to the barracks. They can't get things sorted out, but they're hearing a lot of things. And in the process of all of this, Paul is misidentified, essentially, right? At least for these, these Roman officers, these soldiers. Because you could see that they have a different expectation of who this Paul is in verses uh, 37 through 39. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? And are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, nope, not me. That, 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 that's, not, that's not who I am. So, so there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a false identification. For some reason, uh, the, the the leadership here, the the, the Roman authorities, are said. Well, we got the impression that you were somebody that you clearly are not. He starts speaking Greek politely and winsomely. It, it, it completely catches him off guard. And it's like, whoa! You know Greek? You are clearly not the person that I thought you were, which was this Egyptian Jewish, uh, like essentially. Uh, phony, who claims to be a prophet, but who led a team of assassins into great chaos. Like, this is a bad person. So somehow, he's been getting the impression that this is who this person is who is causing such an uproar. And he's like, oh, so it's, it's not you. That's how it's phrased, right? Okay, so that's not who you are. And so Paul explains who he is. He keeps it nice and simple. He says, uh, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Let's just stop for a minute. So Paul's arrest, Paul's beat up. He's arrested and he's like, listen, just give me a chance to talk to my people, right? My Jewish people, my brothers and sisters here. Let me talk to them uh, because I, I'd like to clear this up if I can. So he realized like, oh, wow, this guy speaks Greek. Um, he wants to speak to the people. So he, he gives them the platform and he takes the opportunity to address his own brothers and sisters in Hebrew. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. This is, the, this, this is the cool part of a rough part in Paul's story. And what he does here, uh, as he begins to speak Hebrew, is uh, he gives his testimony. He basically just gives his testimony. So he gives you, like, his origin story. He'll, he'll say, like, this is where I come from. He's going to talk about his conversion, and he's going to talk about his calling, okay? So here's, here's, here's the story. Paul says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. They've been saying what? He hates the law. He hates Israel. He's trying to get everybody to bail on Israel. He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as are all of you this day, I persecuted the way, that is the church. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. And from them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul tells his origin story to all of his people listening. And he says, listen, first of all, I am Jewish, okay? I am as Jewish as they come. Uh, I, I, listen, not only is, is lineage, like right, determines that he's Jewish, he, he clarifies, I have dual citizenship, essentially, because I was born in Tarsus, right? I was born in this, in this Greco-Roman world, but then I was raised back here in Jerusalem. And not only was I raised in Jerusalem, I was educated by Gamaliel. And if you remember, we talked about Gamaliel before. In Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel was the uh, celebrity scholar of his day, right? He was the well-known, highly respected, virtually universally admired scholar of his day, rabbi of the day. Everybody knew who he was, and that's who Paul trained under. So if anyone has any credibility to have something to say about the law and the covenants, it's Paul. He is highly qualified. Not only that, he was so educated and so passionate about what he has come to learn, he persecuted the church, whom he believed to be this sect, right? This branch, this, this heretical group of Judaism that needed to be stamped out. And that's where his passion took him. So, what is he doing here? He's he's telling his origin story, he's giving his background. In doing that, he's showing how pride was a major sin of his that led to much shame and evil. In one sense, he's saying, listen, I'm not who you guys think I am. But in another sense, he's saying, I'm worse than you think I am because I've done horrible things. You guys can't even see how bad it is, but this is the truth and this is the perspective that conversion gives you. And then he talks about his conversion in verses 6 through 11. He says, as I was on my way, where's he going? To Damascus to get more Christians, to put them down. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus." Now, I know this is a dramatic version of conversion. Like, this is a big one because it's like Jesus literally shows up. Like, uh, uh, he sees, he's blinded, he's knocked off his horse. And uh, most of us don't experience conversion that way, right? But it is essentially the same because conversion happens when Jesus confronts and convicts and changes a sinner. And maybe it's not as dramatic as Paul in terms of things that other people might see in the moment. But he is confronted by Jesus, Jesus pointing out these primary sins. What what do I want? Listen, I'm the one that you're persecuting. Paul was persecuting the church, called the way at the time. That's who he was persecuting, hunting down these heretics. And now he's finding out that there is this resurrected Savior standing before him in glory saying, no, 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 you're not just persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Because whatever you do to the least of these, Jesus teaches us you've done to me. So he says, you've been persecuting me. You've you've allowed your theology to become so corrupted that you mistake me as an idol and seek to have my followers put to death or at least jailed. He's confronted by Jesus and Jesus knocks him off his horse. I like that. That's good. Knock him off his horse. That guy's been awful. And he's blinded. Yeah, get him, Jesus. And then... It, when If you don't know the story, you might think like Jesus is just going to breathe fire out of his mouth and burn him up. He's been killing people. And instead, Jesus extends a mercy. He extends a mercy. He changes Paul's heart. And in doing that, changes Paul's life and changes his eternity. Paul is converted He's blinded in that moment, but he's beginning to see for the first time, really. And we all know what that's like if you, if you remember being converted, right? If, if, if that's something that you can remember happening in your life at a particular age, you begin to see things right, differently, but, but right. And he's still on his way to Damascus, but now with an entirely different agenda and perspective. And then he talks about his calling in verses 12 through 21, and there's like, sort of like a teaser here in 12 through, 12 through 15. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there in Damascus, he came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is the beginning of Paul's Christian life. He is confronted by Jesus, convicted of his sin, extended eternal life, and he believes, and he's baptized, everything changes for him. It is a new beginning, and and he's told, you are going to be a voice that shares this news with everyone. You're going to have a a very broad ministry, and we see how it really applies to his calling to the Gentiles that is non-Jews in verses 17 through 21. And when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste, seize Jesus again, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. In other words, the church is going to struggle to accept your conversion story at this point. And I said, Lord, they themselves know That in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles." So there's a lot going on here, and this is essentially sort of a, a retelling and it's a, like a, a repackaging of what Paul experienced back in the day, back in chapter 9 in particular. Pa- Paul wants to tell, and he's doing ministry, he's preaching the gospel, he's going into the synagogue, he, he wants to talk to his Jewish brothers and sisters But they have a hard time. You see it in chapter 9. They have a hard time. They're like, bro, we know you. We know what you did. We know how you've persecuted. Breathing murder is the expression. How you were breathing murder, like chasing after us, jailing our our women, our wives, and our daughters, like making sure that some of us were even put to death. They struggled. And so he was redirected in his emphasis that he's going to be this messenger to the Gentiles. And, of course, he still continued to reach out to his Jewish brothers and sisters, always going to the synagogues first to preach the gospel there before he went on. But he had to have a much greater impact among the Gentiles now. Okay, so that's how far Paul gets in his testimony before he's interrupted. And we're going to get into that next time. But I want us to stop here as well. I want us to pause because in Paul telling us his story and how it interacts with With God's story, it gives us the opportunity now to reflect on our story. More specifically, I need you to really think carefully about your story. It is God's story that gives light to your story. So we'll start with you. If you are a believer, I want you to think with me about when you believed the gospel. Can you remember when you believed the gospel? Now, maybe you were converted so early, you can't remember a time when you didn't believe the gospel. That's a part of your story, too, then. It's an amazing part of your story. That, 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 listen, that's not most people in the world don't have that story. You were interacting with the gospel or hearing the gospel from such an early age that you don't remember a time when you weren't hearing it, so you believed it early Or maybe you were converted in a season of life and that season is sort of hazy. You just know like, well, before it I was definitely not believing, but after that I certainly was believing. So that's a part of your story. Or maybe you can remember the very moment when you went from confusion to conviction to confession. Maybe you remember that moment very clearly. When did you believe? And how is it that you wound up hearing the gospel anyways? What did God have to put together in your life? Good, bad, entertaining, excruciating. Like, what are all of the events that God had to put together in your life for you at that moment to hear the gospel or to begin to hear the gospel? How well do you know your story? I mean, how did God write it in such a way? Because he is the one who writes your story. How is it that he wrote your story and got you to this place where you would hear the gospel and then believe? And how has God changed you? That's a part of your story. Can you look at your life and, and say like, wow, not that you're perfect. We're not perfect. Not that you're all, you're, you're not even that great. Let's be honest, okay? Like, we're not that great. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That's a part of our story. But then we are being remade as followers. So can you see how God has been at work in your life? Have others noted it? And listen, sometimes we need help in understanding our story. Sometimes you're so close to the source material that you you kind of get lost in all of it. And and so you need some other people to help you to understand your story. How has God been changing you? How has God called you? What does that look like in your life? Can Can you articulate that story for yourself? I'll tell you this. The older I get the more comfortable I become in telling my story, because I think the better grip I have on what it is that God has been doing. Do you understand what your purpose is? I mean, as Christians, right, we have a purpose, a divinely given purpose. You understanding and embracing that purpose is a very important part of your story. You understanding your identity, who you are, that is a significant part of your story. Think about the people that make up so much of your story, the people that God has brought into your life, the people that God has placed there, the people that are total pains in the patootie, the people that you just drive you crazy, the people that are just an immense blessing and encouragement, right? the people that maybe persecute you, Paul might say, as well as the people who support you. Like, think about all of the people that God has brought into your life and how he has used them to bring you to the point of where you are now. Not that they were necessarily all working for your good, but God is all, in all of it, working for your good. Think about the people that are in your, that make up your story. Think about the pain that you experience, the disappointment, the discouragement, the agony, the loss. All of those things contribute to the story that makes you, you. Think about the pleasures, the good things, the gifts, the, 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 the happy times, the, all of those things that you rejoice in, like, wow, what a... What a great thing. These are gifts from God as well. And I'm really just scratching the surface about what it means to understand your story. Can you look at all of the composite elements that come together to make your story one cohesive whole? Because if you begin to try to do that, it will still lack cohesion and ultimate, ultimately a point if you cannot connect it to God's story. God's story. Now, God has a story. It's not like our story, right? Uh, Because our story sort of defines us. Well, God defines his story, right? He he is eternal and unchangeable. So what do we know about God? The story that he has revealed of himself, we know that he is infinite and eternal. He doesn't change. He's not like us. He is the Lord who has always been. But he is also the God who creates so he spoke everything into creation. There was a time when there was not creation, if we can consider that time, and then suddenly there is. God speaks all things into creation. That means that he is the creator and all things belong to him, but that means that you belong to him. You, in, in this year, belong to God, regardless of what you think about God. And then God continues to create, not things out of nothing, but he continues to create like he creates the nation of Israel with a very specific purpose. He calls a man named Abram to believe, to follow, to obey. And he tells Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a people so great, so numerous that their numbers cannot be counted by all the stars in the sky that you see at night. And from Abram, we get Isaac. And from Isaac, it goes to Jacob. And then the People of God, the nation of Israel is birthed, and we have this great nation through whom the Messiah is going to come to redeem people. And then all of those who are redeemed in that Messiah are considered the offspring of Abraham. Which means that the stars in the sky are kind of like, in a sense, they're sort of identified; they're marked with your name. Every Christian who has believed is a son or a daughter of Abraham, and so the stars in the sky speak to your salvation. Your Whole life is connected to God's story. He had prophets that promised the one that would come to save sinners and bring them into God's family and kingdom. And then, of course, Christ was born. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Miraculous. He's born, and he's born to what? To fulfill the law that we have broken To fulfill the covenant, he he, he arrives to bring peace to us between God and us, and therefore between us and one another. Jesus is born, and we're going to focus on this, coming up here very, very soon for, for four weeks, the incarnation and what it means that Christ was born. Christ fulfills the law. When he keeps the law, he does so for you. He doesn't just do it in the abstract or in principle. When Christ died for sinners on the cross, Christian, he died for you by name. You were in his mind. You were on his heart. It wasn't just some pool of redemption that he accumulated that he doles out to whoever says, yes, I want some. He died for you by name and secured your salvation. He rose from the dead. Again, he rose from the dead. Why? To establish justification and resurrection and eternity for you who believe. He ascends into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit into the heart of every believer that we would be continually guided, convicted, and changed by this advocate. And he is coming again. He is coming again. He's going to come again and rescue us from the presence of sin and its constant frustrations that we feel. This frames, you see, this is just the, the, the sort of like the highlights of God's story, what he's done. And God's story, it it gives light to our story because it shows us, it shows you who you are. A person made in the image of God. As a Christian, a person being remade into the image of God after sin had so marred it. It shows you who you are. It shows you, the story of God shows you what you should do. It shows you where you are going. It shows you why you are here, which is the most common question that I ask, why? I don't care about what. I'll find out what. There's no doubt about that. What's going to come? I want to know why. God, why are you doing what are you doing? Why am I here? The story of God tells us. And you really ought to ask yourself, can I I tell my story and leave God out of it? Because you can. You, you, You can, I mean, it's something that you can do. You can tell your story and leave God out of it. the problem is, that the story just doesn't cohesively make a lot of sense without the story of god your, your story isn't random your story's not a mad lib remember playing mad libs as a kid mad libs were awesome the bad kids would sit in the back and do really bad mad libs they do really bad ones but everybody had fun with the Mad Libs. Like it's, a, it's like a little sentence that tells sort of a story, and you're going to fill it up with uh, random nouns, verbs, and adjectives and all that. And life can feel that way, right? Because it just feels so random sometimes, and it feels so disjointed, like it doesn't make sense. And, and why and what and who and what? But when you understand God's story, it sheds light on your story. So now that you, ha- you have a, you, it gives you clarity. And clarity gives you a sense of purpose. And purpose gives you a sense of passion. A lot of us are struggling in our lives because we're looking at scenes out of context. We don't know what to do. I just want us to begin to think differently about it. Maybe you've already been there, and I think a lot of you are. I just want us to continue to do that, maybe do it even better, do it more deeply. Think about our story in the context of God's story. And I know I'm talking to Christians here, so let me address non-Christians, because you may, if you're a non-Christian, you may be here and you think like, Sweet, all right, can I just go to Portillo's now? Because uh, really, uh, God's story ain't my story. Um, I know you think, because I was there, all of us were there at one point. I know you think, like, there's no connection between my story and God's story. Like, you're here right now. You think that's an accident? Like, you are here hearing scripture read, hearing about the God who created you, the God who loves you. You're hearing about the offer of redemption in Jesus Christ. That's not an accident. What did God have to arrange in your life to get you here? A billion different things. A billion, easily. Any one of those things happens, you're not here. But here you are. My story doesn't connect with the story of God. It does in one way or another. God has written your story, just like he's written mine. You belong. You belong to the one that you do not yet know. That's a part of your story right now. Your story is, one way or another, leading you, leading you directly to the story of God. And my prayer, my hope is that you will hear and understand the story of God, the good news of salvation in Jesus, and see how it connects to your story, and accept, receive, embrace God's offer of life, and forgiveness, and redemption, and purpose. Yeah, we got a story, right? Everybody's got a story. Everybody has a story, and they matter. Seeing how it connects to God is absolutely essential for you to make sense of your life. And seeing how your story connects to God's story means you have to consider Jesus Christ. Apart from him, his life, his death, his resurrection, apart from that, you simply cannot make a cohesive whole out of all of your experiences. So let's look to him together. Let's trust Him together and encourage one another to follow Christ as we make sense of this wonderful story that we call life. Father in heaven, we ask that you would convict us wherever necessary, encourage us where we need it, that you would lead us to this wonderful story of redemption that we have in Jesus, Lord. It is not a fiction or a myth. It is history, truth, and fact. It is the ultimate story. Lord, help us to understand and believe this good news and be changed by it so that we might make sense of the life that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.